I'm going to be talking this morning about the, uh, the first of our series on the Jesus Habits. And I'm really excited about this first habit. And there's absolutely a reason that we're putting it first in this series. And it's called the Jesus Habit of Seclusion. And I thought I would uh, start off with this. Who am I? Well, I am your constant companion. I am your greatest helper or your heaviest burden. I will push you onward or I will drag you down to failure. I am completely at your command. Half the things you do, you might just as well turn them over to me. And I will be able to do them quickly and correctly. I am easily managed. You must merely be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done. And after a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I am the servant of all great people. And at last, of all failures as well. Those who are great, I have made great. And those who are failures, I have made failures. I am not a machine, though I work with all the precisions of a machine and the intelligence of a human. You may run me for profit, or you may run me for ruin. It really makes no difference to me. You see, take me. Train me. Be firm with me. And I will literally place the world at your feet. On the other hand, be easy with me and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am habit. You know, it's fascinating to think of the power of habits in our lives. We all have them. We know we have bad habits. We usually try to address those at the first of the year. We have good habits. And sometimes we're overwhelmed because we think it takes so much effort to keep good habits in our life. When it really takes no more effort than it does to have bad habits in our life. You know, when you think of how much effort you make to stay out of sin and you start really feeling sorry for yourself because, wow, this Christian life, this path of righteousness is hard. It takes a lot of effort. Just sometime go meditate for a moment on the effort it takes to sin. Sometimes in my quiet times, I've just thought about, okay, how much effort do I really put into being impure? Good question. 
takes a lot of effort to go seek it out and to run to it. And I'm just telling you right now, we we gotta we gotta really understand the power that habit plays in each of our lives. As it said, you can have the world at your feet, or it can destroy not only your life in this world, but for all eternity. You know, one of the most fascinating studies you can do, and it might be a really good study for you to do this summer, is just go through one of the Gospels. And when you start going through the Gospels with certain perspectives, certain glasses on, if you will, put on the glasses of looking for things that Jesus did consistently. Okay. And what you're going to discover is there's things that will start jumping out at you from your gospel studies of what we simply can call the habits of Jesus. You know, just just get one of those old-fashioned Bibles. You know, the kind that actually exists in your lap and you just open it up with pages. Yeah, you've got one. If you've never seen one in years, she's got one still. That's got to be worth a lot there. Okay, there's two. Wow. Uh, Not very text-savvy, are they? But it's great to have those old Bibles because you can make notes in them. And when I was especially uh, in my younger years of Christianity, I would often uh, have my quiet time Bible and I would write things like habit in the margin. And just do something like that sometime. If you want an exciting study, go through the four Gospels over the summer and just write habit where you see Jesus consistently doing something, almost like it's second nature to him. We're going to talk about one of those things, one of the most important things here today, the habit of seclusion. The word seclusion means an act of setting somebody or something apart, a quiet place removed from activity and people. It's really challenging in 2015 to practice the habit of seclusion. To truly get untethered from this noisy world we live in. You know, Jesus, I think, also amazingly in his rather primitive age found it challenging to get untethered. And in Mark chapter 1 and verse 35, we read, very early in the morning. How early? Well, why it was still dark. Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If you're doing a study of the Gospels on habit, you might want to write right there, habit, in the margin. Because you're going to see that he consistently withdrew for times of seclusion. You see, the Jesus habit of seclusion is simply the practice of withdrawing for an extended period of time from the everyday noise and demands to simply spend some time with God. 
its purpose to uh, really facilitate a connection with God. You know, one of the things as a minister that I will hear from time to time when, when people are struggling spiritually, or maybe talking to someone who at one time lived the life of a disciple and decided to walk away from God, the thing that I will often hear is, well, I just didn't have an emotional connection with God. As really if, if I could just say this, it's, it's God's fault. You know, God's not very emotional and I, I just couldn't connect with Him. And my first question is usually, well, have you, have you gone to find God? Because you see, with all the noise that comes into your world very early in the morning, I might add, why, it's still dark? My phone was blowing up this week with flood warnings, flood warnings. I finally said, hey, i got to turn this thing off when I go to bed because I get these. And I even got an Amber Alert uh, Tuesday morning at 5.30 in the morning. Boy, that will wake you up. And I'm telling you, it is amazing how incredibly challenging it is to emotionally connect with God if we don't practice this essential habit that Jesus fostered from a very young point in his life and certainly in his ministry, the habit of seclusion. It's a time to recharge yourself emotionally and spiritually. You know, those batteries get low sometimes. It's a time that has to be built Purposely into your busy weekly schedule, or I guarantee it will not occur. Jesus realized if it was going to occur in his world, he was going to have to get up very early. Why is still dark? Now, nothing meant as a little underhanded slap, but I'm sure for college students, they've not seen that time of day. Okay. I didn't see it when I was a college student. Uh, I went to bed while it was very, very dark, and I slept in until it was very, very light. And I'm just saying, you got to figure it out. What's it going to work in your schedule to find that emotional connection time with God? You know, I got some great news this morning. In Hebrews 4 and verse 15, it says, We do not have a high priest who is incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but we actually have one who has been tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet was without sin. You know what that really means? And I want to put it in real perspective for you here. Jesus, like you, got tired. He uh, got really hungry at times. He got weary. Back so weary, he sat down by a well in John 4 and changed the life of a whole city in Samaria through one conversation. Because he was just weary, he had to get off his feet. He got sleepy 
Yeah, he took afternoon naps sometimes. And interesting things happen when he was woken up from those naps. He was absolutely drained and exhausted. This may shock you, but Jesus yawned. He, uh, he got his feelings hurt. His mind got weary. Everywhere Jesus went, you're going to see in the Gospels, he was confronted with crowds, demands, requests, opinions, advice, criticisms, and interruptions. Sounds like the ministry to me. He continually heard, heal me, touch me, help me, do something, intervene, I need a miracle, solve this, come here, go there, prove it, stop it, do it. He heard, show me, listen to me, give me. We do not, folks, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize in our weaknesses. Yet, unlike you and I, he was without sin. And I'm telling you, the reason he was is because of the very thing we're talking about here this morning. The habit of seclusion. Why did Jesus go into seclusion at times and pull back? And you know, it's always interesting when you, uh, when you preach a sermon like this, I just got to say, it always seems it's the wrong people who hear this. You know, the people who've already pulled back. Oh, I just need to pull back some more. Now, this is a guy who was out there on the front lines, pouring it out. And it came to a time in his life where he realized, if I don't get recharged emotionally and spiritually, I'm going to be on empty. Why did Jesus go into seclusion? Number one, to gain the right perspective. To gain the right perspective. Look at one example of this in John 6, verse 15. And you can write habit in the margin here. It says, Then Jesus, because he knew they were going to come and seize him by force to make him king, withdrew again. There's a pattern there, isn't it? The word again. Withdrew again up the mountainside alone. All by himself. No one with him. See, the crowds on this occasion wanted to make him an earthly, reigning, military Messiah. They were attempting to force him. And Jesus knew that it was going to be very tempting. He knew it was going to convolute his mission. The appeal of it. The temptation for it. And so he had to withdraw in order to get the right perspective. You know, it's important to back off sometimes, take a breath, and get God's perspective on things that are happening in your life. 
In the Garden of Gethsemane, we see again that Jesus, after the Last Supper, just pouring out His heart that He's about to be betrayed by the very one who dipped His hand in a bowl with Him, goes out immediately after that and withdraws as is habit, one translation says, the other say, as is usual, to the Garden of Gethsemane. Out of the noise of that upper room and that dinner that night, away from those who were saying, what's going on? Hey, we got to fix this. Help us. He withdrew from the noise to get, point one, the right perspective. You know... I've learned this as I've aged and as I lead now an older congregation. Much older than I led when I was a campus minister for decades. And what I've learned is, is life can really get hard at times for people. But you know, because this habit was already formed in Jesus' DNA, then when the really, really hard time came, that last supper, the eve of the cross, it was just second nature for him to withdraw to a solitary place in the Garden of Gethsemane to draw strength from God. You know, the Bible says we need to be about working out our own salvation. Philippians 2 says, with fear and trembling. I got to just tell you, I am learning more and more, and certainly my wife has been saying this for for years now. I can't fix this. I can't untangle that. I have no answer other than the answer. Thank you for sharing this. I will pray for you, and I'm sure God can handle this. But I think uh, you know, in all of our effort to practice community. Too many times we feel like we have to have all of our problems fixed. And if they're not fixed, it's because of you or you or you're not meeting my needs. And my first question is, how about him? You know, Jesus is a friend like no other. Uh, You know, we used to sing the song, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And i got to tell you, brothers and sisters, we need to be there for each other. We need to practice one another Christianity. With those who mourn, we need to mourn. With those who comfort, we need to comfort. But I'm telling you right now, we can't fix everybody's problems. And the first place you need to go to to get your problems fixed is the Lord Himself. And that brings point number two. Jesus went to pray. You know, the Bible says in John 10, verse 30, that Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Can you say that this morning? When it comes to gaining God's perspective, when it comes to being one with Him in spirit, you know, when Jesus was pouring Himself out in that garden, it was very clear at the onset, they were not one. It's not a sin to struggle in your faith. If that was the case, Jesus would have sinned. It's not a sin to be tempted. 
It's a sin when we don't struggle through it and work it out so that not my will, but your will, Father, will be done. And he prayed in those times of conclusion so that, that he could really become one with the Father. In Matthew 14, verse 23, we read, And after he sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Habits. Luke 5, verse 15. But the news about Jesus spread even more. Many people came to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sickness. Demands. But Jesus often slipped away to be alone. Why? So he could pray. You want to know why your prayer life isn't stronger than it is? It's because you have yet to train yourself to practice the habit of seclusion. I've heard many people say, I need to grow in my prayer life. I've yet to hear people say... I need to imitate Jesus in withdrawing to secluded place so I can be with God. The amount of time that we devote to seclusion is a statement of the importance we believe it has in our spiritual life. The third reason that Jesus got away, as we've already alluded to, was to recharge himself spiritually and emotionally. A great quote says, The great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. Nailed it. So rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of our faith. You know, if you don't think things are too big sometimes for you to fix, just look at Matthew 14 and verse 13. Jesus had just received news that his forerunner... His cousin had been beheaded by Herod. We're told what he does next in verse 13. It says, when Jesus heard the news about John, he left there in a boat and went to a lonely place by himself. Is that really... Honestly, our first inclination when we get really, really rough news. It should be. If we're really going to imitate the man who lived the Christian model life for us, this is not optional. We can't fix everything. We weren't built to. If we were, we wouldn't have so much of a need for God, or at least see that need, might be the better way to phrase that. 
And I, uh, I just really want to encourage us how important this time of seclusion is because we are never more vulnerable to temptation than during times of spiritual and emotional emptiness. You need to let that really sink in. We are never more vulnerable to temptations than during times of spiritual and emotional emptiness. And I'm telling you, all the fellowship in the world can't fix that. The best relationships in the body of Christ does not replace your emotional connection time with God. The fourth thing that Jesus secluded for was to learn to do spiritual battle. I was going to read it, but for time's sake, I'll simply refer to Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. When we read about Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Forty days he secluded all alone. Just him with the devil, who, by the way, never leaves us. I love Mel Gibson's piece on the Passion of the Christ because it shows how in the Garden of Gethsemane, that opening scene, Jesus is in there, you know, wrestling with God's will, and, and you know, everyone else is falling asleep except for the devil. And he's right there. And you you see his presence. And it's so sobering to see that, you know, you're never truly secluded from the devil. But he, uh, he went there to learn to do spiritual battle for 40 days. Let me ask you a real profound question. And I want you to really think about this. Who discipled Jesus? Bible talk was he in and what discipling tree did he fall under? No, you got to really wrestle with that. Because if he truly is the model for us of the successful Christian life, what he shows us is that Jesus trained himself to be godly. Sound like a Bible verse? Yeah, that's to me too. Train yourself to be godly. And and you see this in that whole passage unfolding in Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11, where the devil came to him and then he answers back with scriptures. He obviously had been doing something besides eating donuts in the wilderness. And drinking coffee and listening to the birds and thinking, wow, isn't it great to sit out here with my coffee, my Dunkin' Donuts and my Dunkin' Coffee. Oh, I'm in heaven there. And and watching the wild birds and and being communing with God. I I don't think that was the full 40-day emotional, spiritual, rejuvenating experience for Jesus. Now, I'm not knocking having a donated coffee with your quiet time. I'm just grateful you're having a quiet time. I'll buy the donuts. But I am telling you, we got to get serious if we're going to get to heaven about training ourselves to be godly. We, we have 
have a campus ministry over here that had an explosive semester. They saw 10 new additions uh, since the first of the year on that campus. That's, that's thrilling. But, but I'm looking over here and I'm saying, you know, we're not going to be able to meet all your needs. And one of the first things I learned as a young Christian when I was converted was to get up early in the morning and leave my residence hall, Carmen Hall, which was two twin towers, and we nicknamed it, the disciples did, Sodom and Gomorrah. And it really fit. And, and I would leave Sodom and Gomorrah, and I would go out into a pasture by my university where there was no one, and there was a huge shade oak tree there. And all I had was the New Testament. Because I had the NIV, NIV version of the New Testament, and the Old Testament hadn't been translated yet. In the NIV. And, uh, and, and I got a pen, and I got colored markers, and I would literally sit out there for a good hour, and I would have time to commune with God. And I understood, hey, if I'm going to get to heaven, if I'm going to get my butt to heaven, it's going to be my responsibility. Okay, it is. Yeah, I got I got some good encouragement along the way. You know, when you're in a track meet, you, you figure out real fast, right, Jesse? Where's Jesse? When you're in a track meet, you, you're you're running alone, unless you're in a relay, but you're still running alone. And you know, it's great to have people in the stand saying, "Go, man, finish it out. You can do it." I saw the pictures of Janelle, you know, standing there rooting Jacob on when he ran his first marathon. But I tell you, Janelle, she looked as fresh as she does right now. I remember the picture. I think she had a Dunkin' Donut coffee in her hand. And she would say, hey, Ben, that's my honey. Go, man, go. Hey, you know, I'll see you at the finish line. And the contrast between what she looked like and what Jacob looked like is priceless. Now, college students, if that doesn't paint a picture for you of, of the effort you're going to need to put into this journey that you've started on here to train yourself to be godly, I can't think of a better one. And I'm telling you, Jesus, those 40 days in the wilderness, learned to do spiritual battle. The final and fifth thing. Is he learned to listen to God? I've been married now over 35 years. And I suppose some people would think, Connie and I have a pretty good marriage. I like to think we do. And it's only gotten better and better and better. We, uh, we recently got an invitation to go out to Los Angeles in November for their huge married retreat to speak at it, to be the speakers, and, and we accepted. We were excited to go back. And so evidently somebody thinks uh, we, we've got a few things worked out in our marriage that are working well. But just by way of encouragement, it always wasn't that way. Okay. I remember one time Connie got so upset with me, she took off the wedding ring and she threw it at me. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's who I'm married to. Just so you know. 
that home for years. I'm not even sure they'll still have you. But she was saying she's going home. It was on that occasion I realized I needed to do some serious repenting in an area. And that was just stopping long enough to listen to what this beautiful woman of God had been trying patiently to say to me for years. I wonder if God is even tempted right now to just throw the wedding ring at us and say, I thought we were wed. This is a one-sided marriage here, guys. And there's a great psalm in Psalm 46, verse 10, and I'll close with it. It just simply says, be still. And know that I am God. I, I can't plead with you enough that you've got to turn the noise off in your life right now. You know, when Jesus went into the desert for 40 days, this is going to shock you. But he couldn't receive text messages. I have it on good account. He didn't have Verizon. He had the cheaper kind. He uh, he had no connection to email. He didn't even take his radio with him. You say, what did he do out there for forty days? Well, apparently a lot, because when Satan came, he was ready. He had spent some great time in the Old Testament, and he answered each temptation with Scripture. And I I just really want to appeal to you, what is your summer plan? This is part one of a two-part on seclusion. If I don't get through my notes, it may be part three the following week. I don't know. But I want you to think between now and next Sunday, some homework. Where is going to be your place of seclusion? And when are you going to go there? I just know this. If Jesus needed the habit of seclusion, how incredibly arrogant would it be for you or I to think that we can get by spiritually without it? I hope you have a plan of what you're going to study this summer. You know, the great thing is tomorrow's June 1st. Wow, can you believe it's June 1st? Look at it like it's January 1st for the summer. June 1st. What a perfect time to have a new plan for a spiritual revival, a recharging, an imitation of the godly habits, the spiritual disciplines of Jesus. I want you to decide today what you're going to start having quiet times on. Starting tomorrow morning. 
You say, well, I'm already having a quiet time on this. Well, for the ten of you that are, that's fine. It's the other 400 and some that I'm concerned about this morning. So for those, you might want to think about what you're going to study starting tomorrow. And and you might want to think about, wow, you know, I'm so busy. Jesus was busy, but boy, am I busy. (laughs) That, That I too might have to get up very early in the morning to even have time to be with God. Because I know Jesus was busy, but boy, you don't understand. I'm really busy. And I'm really important. Well, that's great. And I'm glad you're that important. But all the more reason then we want you to be with God. Because you're important. Let me close. Not only with the challenge. To make a decision what you're going to do with this starting tomorrow. But let me close with this story. It's a great little story. I'm told it's actually a very famous Jewish story. You say, how do you know that? Well, some Jewish people told me this story. And they said it was very famous. There's a famous Jewish story that is often told about the child of a rabbi who used to wander in the woods. At first, his father let him wander. But over time, the father became quite concerned about the son's safety. The woods, you see, are a dangerous place. He decided to discuss the matter on one occasion with his child. Well, the story goes that one day he took him aside and said... You know, I have noticed that each day you walk into the woods. I wonder, why do you go there? The boy said to his father, I go there to find God. That's a very good thing, the father replied gently. I'm glad you are searching for God. But son, you don't need to go into the wilderness. God is the same everywhere. Yes, the boy answered, but I am not. I can't think of a better way to sum up while Jesus, why Jesus needed this essential habit in his spiritual life. And why you and I must imitate.